you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It's an absolute joy to have my next guest on the show. Uh, Rowan's been an incredible uh, and inspiring uh, individual within my own personal inner circle, somebody that I continually learn from every single day and an incredible supporter of my work. His story is uh, interesting, full of wisdom and insight, and that's why we had to get him on the show because it's about time his story just went a little bit further as well as the work that he does. So welcome, Rowan. It's so exciting to have this conversation. I I feel like all we're doing, Janine, is taking the conversations we've had privately for three or four years and and going a bit more public about it. So I'm pumped. Uh Totally. I'll just try and make sure I keep some of those bits that we know about each other private, hey? (laughs) Okay. Ditto. Maybe maybe not. Maybe. All right. Let's let's kick into it. So before before we get on to um, exploring your passion, the work that you do and the impact that you're having right now, um, let's go right back. Can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I love thinking about that because the very first image that springs to mind is the day that my mum had to come and get me from school and bring my fireman's helmet. And I was I was six years old and I was in art class and I had enthusiastically uh, taken a whole bunch of art clay and stuck it against my forehead and it had got stuck in my hair. But what I remember is mum bought my fireman's helmet to school to cover up my shame. And so... Right, right from the uh, right, and then I still have this memory of her combing out uh, art clay out of my hair. But I have this memory that I had uh, the fireman's hat. So clearly, we started with you know what 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 guy doesn't want to be at least have a fireman's hat, let alone you know any of the other uh, options that are available to us. A professional footballer uh, for a little while, and uh, and and then really through my teens, it became apparent that my passion was actually around people and connectivity and engagement and and those sorts of things and uh, my dad was a uh, was um in business at the time and he got uh, he got me to do this psych report and the psych report essentially said Rowan will be at his best when he's working with people in people environments and so that's sort of a short version of 18 years of uh, wow. figuring some of that stuff out and that's exactly what you're doing, right? You pretty much spend your your life working with people and helping them become better versions of themselves. Uncanny how predictable and, and how predictive that was. And I think the bit that's beautiful about that is that the alignment, and you and I both know this in our work, when you can actually align the thing that you're wired to do with what you actually do, becomes that's the symphony that you're looking for I think in in your contribution to the planet so can you can you think of a watershed moment that got you to where you're at now is there a moment in your memory where you go wow looking back that really is the thing that set me on my my track yeah it's such a such a great way of thinking about it Ed Cole said this he said life is lived at on levels and arrived at 
in stages. Life is lived out on levels and arrived at in stages. And so that question is actually a level and stage question for me. So for example, a watershed moment number one, I was given the opportunity as a 17-year-old to do some leadership uh, in the youth group I was going to. And uh, I was just able to take responsibility for something. Um, Watershed moment uh, number two was when I sat reading John Maxwell's book. And uh, I know that you, um, uh, I know that you've, uh, you know, we talk about the kind of books that impact us, but developing the leader within you impacted me. And it was at that point where I realized I had a passion for leadership. And then um, probably watershed moment number three is when I hit 35 years of age, uh, and I started to think about life at 45, which which at that point in time, Janine, I thought was miles away and was never going to turn up, and now it's behind me, uh, <laughs> which is a, always a scary thought sometimes. Uh, uh, and uh, I realized, I thought, okay, 10 years from now, what do I want to be doing? And I realized what I wanted to be doing was actually helping people reach their potential, helping people understand uh, a lot of the things that I've learned over the course of life and leadership and and cultural development and communication and engagement and high performance and all the things that go with training and equipping leaders in the way that I do. And so those things, if you, if you imagine like climbing up a mountain, each mini summit just kept moving me closer and closer to, to the work that I'm doing now. And on that way, I'm sure there's been a few hurdles a few moments where it hasn't quite been unicorns and rainbows. Are there any particular that you um, are open to sharing and what you learned from those hurdles about yourself? Yeah, look, I think it's one of those really amazing, uh, when I talk about this with colleagues and friends, we talk about the idea of um, windows and mirrors. And so, for, for example, the, the window is when you've got the opportunity to look out and see what's possible and be excited and be enthusiastic about the future and the world that you're creating and the contribution that you're having and the clients that love you and all the various things that, that, are, that are going well. And then the mirror uh, are those days, and I say it this way, one of the toughest days in the world is, to, um, is the day where you work out there's something about yourself that you don't like. And I, and I think when you decide to be in the game of people development, leadership development, cultural re- alignment, you're actually constantly looking in the mirror because you're you're realizing that I grew up with a particular worldview that that has served me to a uh, an extent, but perhaps isn't serving me into the future. Um, I grew up in a family system that served me to an extent, but isn't perhaps serving me entirely into the future. And there's a lot of that that's good. But when you do the intensive people development work, you realize that your insecurities get challenged, your inadequacies get inadequacies get challenged. You keep asking yourself the question: You know, is anybody going to like this? Is anybody going to buy this? Uh, uh, am I any good? Will I be able to provide for my family? And interestingly enough, those and this might be just sort of age, stage, gender, uh, or any or all of those things are a combination of them, but they never really go away. You're, uh, what happens is, I think, is two things. Number one, you build a better view of yourself and your ability to do the work. Uh, and number two, you get confident about 
your uniqueness and your superpower and your offering to market without being arrogant. And so I think the toughest thing in all of this is when you hit that point in time, which has happened to me in life and work, where what you were giving your best, but it wasn't enough. And that actually happened to me um, in my in my recent history. Um, I, I felt like I was doing my best. I felt like I was doing uh, the work I could do at the best possible um, level, but my employer still didn't want me. And I had to back away from that and then essentially reinvent. And you actually know that story. So I've had to reinvent how I function in the world. And that's been a really significant challenge. And, you know, with the, I'm, you know, quite comfortable saying with professional help, with the help of colleagues and friends, and with, you know, a deep dive into the work that, that I'm doing, I, I feel like I'm well and truly on the other side of that and very enthusiastic about uh, our, our contribution to market. Um, I just want to explore a little bit further that reinvention, reinventing or a preparedness and intentionality around reinventing yourself sometimes in terms of how you're going to function and fit into the world. From your experience and the significant amount of leaders and individuals that you work with, how often are you seeing that that concept come up where uh, people need to have a willingness, a want to be courageous enough to understand that actually sometimes they need to relearn um, how to how to function, how to behave, how to lead, how to live the life that they want to live. I, I yeah, it's a great question, and I think one of the things that's really changed in the world that we're living and leading in right now is the expectation of adaptability and agility, and they can easily be buzzwords until you're confronted with the idea that you're not enough or that your employer doesn't want you or to get to the next level, you don't have the the skills and the suitability. And that will happen to most of us at some point in our life and career. And I think acknowledging that reality is the very very first thing. Uh, there, There are probably two types of reinvention. I think one I think is more fundamental, which is what I was referring to. I actually had to back out of a whole career and then re-enter almost as something, you know, not different, but refined. I'm still largely doing the same kind of work, but in a completely different environment and market and uh, presenting myself to the, to, to the world in a different way. And so that fundamental reinvention often happens when there's something uh, either deeply internally um, destabilizing or something deeply externally destabilizing. So psychologists talk about the big things in life, the death of a loved one, divorce, various other you know things that go on in the world, and that external effect forces us in a way, good force, in to to really reconsider who we are and how we function. And people go through that in seasons in life. Um, and, uh, and so you go through that and you can prepare for that and you can, uh, have the right resources around you. I think the other layer of reinvention is looking at the horizon and seeing what's coming and being somebody, Janine, who leans into. So let's talk about the idea of unleashing brilliance. That to me has the sense that we're constantly, looking for 
how the goodness of what's in the people that we're working with, the organisations that we're working with um, and ourselves, how that can keep shining brightly, um, activating people sharply in a way that constantly adds value. And that's what's changing in the world really quickly. Technology is changing that. External factors are changing that. Globalisation is changing that. And I think it's why we lean into this idea of thought leadership because we go there's a lot of thought repeatership around the world but one of the ways you can reinvent is to think about your own thoughts in a way that helps people and so I'd make that distinction kind of major reinvention but then I'd make minor reinvention or adaptation and that what's changed there is that is part of life and one of my I'll I'll jump in on this one right now one of my favorite lessons learned in 30 years of doing this or 25 years of doing this is in the mid nineties, Warren Bennison, Bert Nannis wrote a book called leaders, a strategies for taking charge. And they said this before it was a famous phrase. They said, what separates a good leader from a great leader is the ability to learn new skills. Mm. And that was a, a light bulb leadership moment for me. I thought there is the rest of your life right in front of you. And what I love, I mean, the conversations that we've had off the podcast and over coffee, this concept of learning new skills doesn't just fit to leadership. It's actually for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in. Um, I can specifically remember a conversation you and I had, Rowan, I've got, as you know, I've got three children. And as the eldest, my eldest son was almost heading into that stage of puberty and becoming a more independent young man, what I had to learn for myself around, okay, how do I parent a teenager, as did my husband, how do I parent a teenager, um, was an incredible um, transitional moment in terms of my own leadership of self. And that's something that, um, that, you know, thank you, you really helped with. And to share with our listeners, I don't want to take your genius and, and make it my own, but that that can you maybe just share the thinking behind that and how that applies to everyday leadership? Well, I mean, what I'd help is is uh, you could remind me of what I said that was really great because I can't always remember. But I mean, I've worked with young people uh, for most of my life uh, in 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 one part of my world, and but also with, with with their with their parents too. I think the bit that you just said that is. Uh, so key to people listening to our conversation, Janine, is the idea of learning new skills is not just a leadership principle, it's a life principle. And I think the second piece that I would attach to that is um, I think seasons are more important than calendars. And uh, so I'll be a bit conceptual and then we'll drop it down uh to something more concrete, but you, uh, you, you and Jason were going into the, the season of, of what does it mean to parent a teenager and how, how do we actually do that? Not once, but you know, you've, you've done it again and you're about to do it again. Uh, and so you're, uh, you're actually becoming quite, quite skilled in, in, in this, um, this particular, uh, uh area. <laughs> so, Totally <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to come back to you and say, please remind me what I said. I'm, I, I need to be reminded. And so I think firstly, I'd be 
I'd be actually encouraging people listening to our conversation going, the, the idea of learning new skills, and if you attach that to a, a season in life, like what's my season in business right now? What's going on in the market? What are the priorities? What are the problems? What are the pain points? How do I solve them? Then what's going on in my own life, my own personal development as a, as a man, as a woman, as a contributor, as a, a partner, a friend? What, what are my responsibilities as a, a parent, um, a, a child, a, a brother, a sister? And when you think about those things, it actually can help you create a little bit of clarity about what to do and what not to do. So that's sort of conceptually uh, a, a big a big idea. Um, the reason why I sort of stayed on that a little bit is just because the, once you've got the framework, you can actually put the things inside it. So, oh, I'm about to parent a teenager. What do I do differently? And I know that we talked about, uh, you know, being a son, we talked about your role as a mum and how your your role could be very important in the sense that he can learn what sort of a, what, what sort of attitudes and, and, um, and behaviours does somebody as an emerging young man need to be adopting uh, as a contributor to the world and as a as a participant in the world and as somebody who learns to to treat men and women um, who are mature uh, and all those sorts of things uh, that we that we talked about and um, I have to say uh, I think you've done an excellent job on that specific uh, particular uh, topic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I, I think this concept, I'm loving this concept of seasons and linking it back to uh, your learning around or your lesson around. We, as leaders, we need to continually learn new skills. Um, I mean, that is, that is one of the critical things, isn't it? You know, organisations themselves are, are moving beasts. They're living and breathing organisms. Uh, as a result, the people in them are constantly evolving and moving through their own seasons, um, some of which we've got no understanding of because it's things that we don't get access to. Um, how, how as leaders, from your perspective, what, what do we as leaders need to do to help unlock and unleash the brilliance of our teams in a way that is um, understanding and cognizant of the fact that it is a continually learning process of people going through their own seasons and their own learnings at the same time. Like it seems really tricky. It's, it's, it's like there's a whole set of moving parts or jigsaw puzzle pieces that never will ever come together. What's what's your view? Yeah, I think and in, in many ways you're absolutely right. There's lots of moving parts and the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, well, what is it that we, what is it that we want to see happen as a result of this engagement? I'll give you a, an example. I've just been back in to see a client, a good client, and um, there's somebody that I want to do uh, medium and long term work with, and so I'm working extra hard. But I came away from the very first meeting unconvinced that that I'd really gotten to the core of what they wanted and what would be. Uh, something that solved their problems or something that really added maximum value to them. And so I actually went back in and in some ways took a risk that said, look, I took this, this, and this away from our meeting, but I think I need more on this, this, and this. Turns out they actually felt respected. They felt that I regarded their situation with a sense of individuality. And the second meeting was exponentially more useful for both of us than the first one. So it was almost like we, it, we there was an introduction and then we 
deep dived a little bit. Um, and so I'm using that as an example because that's just one way of uh, in the marketplace we can actually find out what's really going on for people right now instead of necessarily treating my ideas as the answers to everybody's problem we actually get to mine the moving parts we get to understand the vulnerabilities we get to listen to some of the things that they feel like are happening uh, for them at that point in time so that's an example but if I backed up a little bit let's think about natural seasons if if you've got a particular season that's going on right now you actually need to know the season in order to understand the response so the the way that this needs to be a, approached i believe by uh, people in the marketplace people in in corporate uh, understanding globalization understanding the influence of those sort of we, we live in such a borderless world what's going on in the world and how is it influencing my environment right now what's going on in my world and how is it influencing the environment right now and what are the key indicators of that and I, I always say it this way if you don't understand the, the season then and you behave incorrectly, it's potentially fatal. If I think summer in winter, I, I, I could freeze. If I think winter in summer, I could, I could cook myself. And, and I know it's a, almost a silly example, but apply it. If I think sales when I should be thinking um, execution in business or if I think execution when I should be thinking sales, um, then then I'll just get the timelines and the rhythms and the cash flow all tied up. I, mean, I met with a client in, in, in January and she said, we can, we can uh, engage your services February through to May. We can't in June because it's our biggest month. And I went, well, you know your season. That's fine with us. And so understanding that's important. Let me drop it down one more level um, because this gets very personal. What's happening to a person or a people group or a set of managers and what is what would we describe their season or their situation and circumstances to be are we in change are we in disruption are we in innovation are we in consolidation are we in a strong place financially is the projections going to create some challenges i think Max Dupree says, Janine, the first job of a leader is to define reality. And what I'm talking about is digging down deep enough to say, I'm hearing this, I'm seeing that, what's your comment? Where's the group up to right now? Uh, what are they saying? What are they? What are you hearing? And often coming in as an outsider, uh, as you and I both know, we get to ask those questions in a bit of a fresh way uh, without the without the busyness and without the noise of the environment. And so I think that's where we get to be useful. Mm. And when you can articulate that season, then we ask the question, okay, what are your three to five biggest problems and what are your three to five biggest aspirations? And when we know what they are and we know what our starting point is, we then get to add some real value to, to clients, to individuals and companies. And that's amazing. And you and I, you know, we both enjoy that. That's that's just a delight. So on that, what what is it that keeps you going? Why, why are you so passionate about the work that you do? 
I I think there is a gap between what we say about leadership and what we do about leadership. I I really do. The the more I lean into our um, the corporate experience, the more I lean into people's career development, the more I see. Say for example, you know, my I've got a couple of different ways of saying what I do. One is, you know, I help technical experts become people leaders or essentially I, I say we take the people that are good at their jobs and we help them become good at leadership because very few people go to market and are clear about the fact that somebody can be good at their job and no one's ever trained them to be good at leadership because they are two separate and distinct responsibilities. Typically, we learn that by default, not by design. Uh, I've been doing some research around communication and listening. And one document, one article, Janine said that only 2% of executives are trained in listening. 2%. And yet the value of being able to listen, hear, communicate, engage and invite people to be part of something is worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars to an organisation. Um, and so I think, you know, this idea of I think there's a gap between what we say we want in leadership and culture, communication, people development, capability, get preparing people for responsibility and what we actually do. And I'd love to be able to bridge that gap. I'd love to be able to, and I, that's what I do, I work with the senior leadership to identify uh, the emerging groups and begin to give them the opportunity to spread their wings and um, have more of a voice and be able to engage in their leadership and development. And what what really gets me excited is when people get that and they start to understand that our role as a leader isn't necessarily to be always out in front all the time being the shining light, but maybe we're the one ones that are actually pushing someone forward so they get to be the shining light. And um, that's been a really key part of the work that we've been doing. So kind of the, the, the old sort of as the tide rises, all the boats rise. We go, if we all lean into this as a way of functioning, if we know who we want to be as a leadership group and a leadership culture, then the, we all see a significant uplift across the board. I just love that you talk you talk to me too because we're so aligned in how we bring out the best in the people around us. I love it. What is what is one piece of advice that you might be hearing over and over again in your work? You know, we see it may be a meme on social media or it might be part of the seven steps too that you just wish people would stop listening to. Yeah, look, um, I, I think... I think we've overestimated um, what's one of the funniest things I saw outside that there was a quote about the internet attributed to Abraham Lincoln and um, and it was Abraham Lincoln making a comment about the internet and it was because it was so far-fetched and so impossible for it to actually be true, it was laughable. And yet... Um, we have this sort of underlying sense that, well, you know, I read it on the interwebs, uh, which means it's true. And I, I think the challenge we've got is to ask ourselves and test and measure 
the almost the so what button or the so what factor without actually being arrogant or carrying around any sort of sense of hubris. Okay, well, who said it? In what context? About what? Uh, to who? With what impact? Uh, and actually really challenging what it is that's coming at us from mass media and what is it that's coming at us from uh, environments that want us to believe and act in a certain way. And so I would actually be inviting people to create environments where Brene Brown calls it, where we're able to rumble a bit with the idea and rumble a bit with the news and rumble a bit with the concept rather than just weaponize it and use it to our own advantage or use it to prove the point that we we want to prove. Um, my wife, Megan, and I are big fans of um, various documentaries. And typically what gets unpacked, Janine, in these uh, documentaries is the people that are telling us about the benefits of the very thing they want us to buy are the people that are paying for the studies to be done. Um and again, I'm, I'm not a cynic. I'm actually much more of an optimist. What I'm saying is test it. See if it's real. Give it, sense check it. Uh, see if there's some validity. Look for where it Velcros on to your environment and how it can serve your organisation. But don't just blindly accept it because it's coming at us through our new feeds and it's com- news feeds and it's coming at us through uh, social media challenge it and give it some depth and take it to uh, another level of robustness. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And you're absolutely right, particularly in this era of huge amounts of uh, fake news or news that's blown massively out of proportion. Well, I'll give you an um, example. I'll give you an example. I, I, I know there's a, he's a uh, celebrity preacher in the US and there's a satirical website and the satirical website took – LeBron James's $110 million contract copy, lifted it and put it into their satirical website and named the celebrity preacher as getting the $110 million contract. And the interwebs went mad. Why can this happen? How can that person, why should he get this? And they just did it for a laugh and people blew up about it because nobody stopped to check. So that's just funny. And I personally find that quite funny. I think that we just got sucked in. We all got sucked in. So this webinar is all about unleashing brilliance. As you know, I'm I'm passionate about unlocking the brilliance in individuals and teams and leaders so that we can all create the extraordinary results that we need during our lifetime. But what does what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? Well, I actually think this is something you taught me because you embody this idea. And so for me, it's two things. Number one, it's doing and being your absolute very best. And number two, it's contributing your absolute very best to others. And I see you do this in your work and your practice and in the work that you've got uh, coming up as well um, with your new book. And and so I I think it's, but it's those two sides. It's the responsibility to be the, the best I can be, but then it's equal part contribution equal part hard work and sacrifice. And I think those two things work beautifully together. And I actually believe, Janine, as human beings, we're designed to do it that way as well. Mm, mm. So who who has been the most influential person in your world? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, feel, I feel so fortunate to have so many 
in person, online, you know, via book mentors. Um, in terms of work, life, leadership, and worldview, um, John Maxwell has mentored me for 25 years plus. Um, I've read his books, I've met him twice, and it's just a, a really cool um, sort of story. Uh, I've met him three times and a really cool story just to connect with him around that. Um, uh, Jim Rowan, I never met, J-I-M-R-O-H-N, uh, has impacted my wife Megan and I so, so significantly. He said, my goodness, 15, 17, 20 years ago I, I heard, he, he said this phrase, I'll look after me for you if you will please look after you for me. Mm. And that that shift around personal responsibility as opposed to blame had a dynamic impact on me as a young man, as a husband, now as a father, and even today that framing around personal responsibility is a big deal for me. Um, more recently, uh, the thought leaders community that we're part of have hugely shaped my confidence to market, what I offer, and um, and then you know you're looking for authors and mentors and and people that that contribute. And then I've got a small group of friends. I've got uh, eight or ten mates that sharpen me, that that don't take me for granted, that don't take me too seriously, and those things become enormously helpful. And I'm blessed with an incredible life partner, my 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 wife Megan. Uh, we've been together 25 years at the point of this recording, married for 23, and um, we 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 feel like it's getting better and better, which is pretty cool because it's not mm. everybody's experience. That's right. That's right. Now, if we could uh, have the This Is Your Life run or the party run and get them all into the room right now, what would you say to them? Uh, th- th- well, thank you isn't enough, but you'd start with that. Um, uh, I, I would like to... I'd like to believe that I would be able to thank those people for for the very specific things that each of them have done. Um, and I'd even include my, my, my parents in that, you know, setting, setting us up, uh, each of the five kids in different ways. I've got uh, four siblings and, I'd, I, and uh, my in-laws and those closest to me, but then those that challenge me around work and life and just ask me to think about things differently. But I'd love to think that I could thank them, but not a generic thanks. I'd love to think that it could be a specific thanks um, and uh, and say why it is that I've appreciated each and every one of them. So, for example, if I was to thank Janine Garner, I would say thank you for including me in your inner circle, but thank you for including me with your your strengths and your um, vulnerabilities and your aspirations, you know? and so I would I would want to be specific about that. So you would be affirmed, and the people that were hearing my my appreciation be affirmed as well. Mm, that's beautiful. So we often ask what we want to do next. What's what's the goal for the next five years? What do we want to become? My my final question, Rowan, is what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, like my business is called um, New Level Leaders. Uh, obviously, we 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 market around our you know yourname.com, But twenty years, twenty two years ago, I went through the process of 
trying to work out what uh, a good mission statement for my life would be. And this is this is quite funny, but I wrote a mission statement out that was forty-one words long. It was so long I couldn't remember it, which is a little bit ironic, right? I had a life mission statement that I couldn't remember. And uh, I was able to whittle those 41 words down to three words and that has stayed with me in all the work I've done, all the not-for-profit work, all the faith-based work, all the community development work, all the corporate work that's all converging now to what I believe will be you know, my best 10 or 20 years ever and it's this, I exist to lift people to a new level i want to i want people around me to feel like they have actually gone up a new level in their thinking in their belief in themselves in their ability to handle life leadership team corporate family Uh, i want people to believe that and do that about themselves because i was in their world and um, my big word for the next decade i've got a decade big word is prosperity for all i want to prosper myself and i want everybody around me and everybody interact with to be richer and enriched because i was in it and uh that floats my boat and i'm really excited about that ryan uh, what a wonderful and beautiful place to end you are already living and breathing that big word because you certainly have enriched my life by being part in it, of which myself and my family thank you. It's been an absolute joy to share more of you on this podcast. And my wish is that other people are able to tap into your awesomeness um, so that you can enrich them too. So thank you, Rowan. It's been an absolute joy. Thanks so much, Janine. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.